Thank you so much for tuning into the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I'm your host. I've got another stop motion focused episode for you and this time it is from the incredible Ian Boone of Tumble Leap and Ask the Storybots fame. And what's really neat is that he's animating on the upcoming Henry Selleck movie, Wendell and Wild right now. Plus on top of this, he's also very proud to use stop motion to further environmental advocacy in his animated projects for Save the Dells, Arizona, and Raptors Are the Solution. Now, Ian is from Louisville, Kentucky, where he also enjoys playing the banjo. And in our chat, he shares how to get an internship at Leica if you're super fresh to stop motion. He is two under his belt. Or if you're a stop motion pro, Ian has got a bunch of professional tips, including one that he learned can speed up your animation work tenfold while still maintaining amazing quality. But first, this episode is sponsored by my friends over at Bloop Animation, which is an animation learning platform packed with premium online video courses for aspiring animation filmmakers. They have courses for all major animation programs like Maya, Animate CC, Toon Boom Blender, TV Paint, and many others, as well as some non-software courses like a storyboarding course, animation foundations course, and even one about making graphic novels, which covers absolutely everything you need to know from start to finish. Their courses are all in video form, so there are no deadlines or application process. You simply just pick a course that you'd like and start learning in seconds. They even offer a free ebook titled Making an Animated Short, which covers their entire process step-by-step of how they made one of their films from coming up with the idea to storyboarding, animation, and all the way to exporting the film. And you can get that book for completely free at bluebanimation.com slash animation industry. Or you can check out their complete course library at bluebanimation.com slash courses. And I've included both of those links in the description of this chat. So please check them out and help support this podcast. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into the chat. Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast chat. How is everything over there? It's going good. I am uh, here in my little workroom and during the pandemic. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're chatting over Skype, uh, which is perfect for the pandemic situation. But we'd be chatting yeah. over Skype anyway, because I'm in Toronto and you're in Portland. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you've, been, you've been following the podcast for a while and I've been following you on Instagram. And that's kind of how we yeah. touched base. And I asked you to come on and chat about everything stop motion in your career. So uh, my first question is, what is what is the overall theme that you want somebody listening to this to uh, kind of take away from our chat? And your yeah, course? totally. I uh, am a stop motion animator, and I just love this medium and love this industry and this little weird community of stop motion people. And it's just the best. And I hope everyone wants to be a stop motion animator and that would be <laughs> my main takeaway but not too many people because i need a job too right yeah okay <laughs> so well let's talk about uh job and your job and career and everything because you've yeah. kind of, you know scaled the ranks really quickly with with your career it's been kind of short compared to some of the other people i've had on this podcast in stop motion so let's chat about that where did where did stop motion where did you get the itch for stop motion first of all oh, i mean we can go like all the way, all the way back before I even existed. Um, My my parents' first date was the Spike and Mike Film Festival. um, No way! Yeah. I just just published a Spike and Mike uh, Animation Outlaws podcast today. Oh, really? Oh, great. I haven't seen the documentary yet. I had Spike Decker on, so he... Oh, super cool. All that, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, so my parents' first date was the Spike and Mike Film Festival, and they saw 
I guess, one of the first screenings in the US of Wallace and Gromit and Creature Comforts. And um, I'm sure a lot of other great things too. So I didn't exist yet, but you know, they saw those and maybe that's somewhere in my DNA. Um, and then I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, which is not a like hotbed of animation, but it is like a creative town. And I grew up with artist parents. My mom is a graphic designer and a painter and my dad was a musician. So my life growing up was like fostered with creativity and just like making things. And yeah, just an idea of like, it's not weird to like work with your hands or just, yeah, be, be creative all day. So, so did you have like a home atmosphere of supporting a creative career path? Yeah, totally. I, um, I didn't really know. I mean, I was 11 when I discovered animation, but until I was 11, like I, I liked drawing. I liked making little like scenes with animal toys. Like I liked, I was always building something or doing something, but it wasn't really until I was 11 that I started getting interested in film and animation. And then once I did, it just like totally hit. Like it was, it's been basically nothing else since. Um, So when did you actually, did you go to school for it? When did you start taking it kind of seriously, I guess? Yeah, so I guess when I was about 12, I was like really like making little short films on the, you know, the kitchen floor and, you know, just moving clay around. And then when I was 13 or 14, somewhere around there, I started making um, little, like a little web series uh, called Beaver Creek, which was, um, yeah, just this little like claymation series that I put on YouTube and, you know, other like stop motion forums and stuff. And I started, I mean, it never went like viral, viral, but like I started getting like people were seeing it and I was getting like some like awards and things in middle school and then yeah um then throughout high school I started making other short films and even like a few projects for hire and I I got a couple of really like nice opportunities um I won uh these awards called the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards and like I got to go to Carnegie Hall and um meet kind of meet other artists my age for the first time you know I wasn't you know I went to like an all boys Catholic high school which was good but yeah football all day long um so and I had some I had three really great art teachers that that encouraged me and and pushed me and and you know encouraged again creative thinking and like just this is like an actual career path if you want Um, and so that was, that was starting to look more possible kind of later in high school. You know, it was, it was definitely becoming something more than like, just like a hobby, right? Like this was, I was doing like little 
projects for like clients even like it, they, towards the end of high school, which is, you know, I wasn't making much money from them, but like they were, no, you know, still, yeah. it was paid work essentially. Um, and then uh, I, I went to CalArts for a little bit uh, in the experimental animation program. And I, uh, my first year there, I had an internship at Stupid Buddy on Robot Chicken season seven. Nice. Uh, back in the day and then then after my first year at CalArts I had my first internship at Leica and that was on uh, Kubo and the two strings so so let's slow down a little bit (laughs) Um, first of all I want to say that like Beaver Creek I'm so blown away that you were you said you were 13 when you made that yeah I started when I was 13 like that's insane like like it has full production, you know, there's characters, backgrounds, there's sets, like the animation is very good. Like, oh, thank I would, you. I would think an adult made that. But anyways, so um, I just, my question about the support thing, I'm wondering like, what did your parents, cause uh, like thinking about my own story and like other people's stories, like, you know, there's that whole sense of like get a real job, right? Versus yeah. like animation, especially stop motion where it's so niche to get into and like, t- did you ever feel that pressure to pursue a different career path? Or like, it sounds like stop motion was just your thing the whole way through. It really, it really was my thing. I mean, really from like the time I was 12, like I, um, I, I never, I have other, I had other interests. I still have other interests. Like yeah. I, and actually a lot of them kind of tie together. You know, I've been fairly consistent in the things that I like throughout my life. You know, I like wildlife. I like banjos. I like animation. And all of those things are still things that I like. And all of those kind of culminated in this series when I was 13. And, um, you know, it, I got involved in sort of like wildlife activism through it as well. Um, So I never really thought that that would be a true path, like a career path, but that was always like a very, another, another really heavy interest was some sort of wildlife related thing, but never, never quite got there with like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So animation was really the focus. And um, both my parents worked from home. So my mom uh, had her graphic design business in in the house. So I was really, I was definitely like exposed to like, working like I was it was like normal to see my parents like just making things and and um like working long hours and like I just I feel like I like got instilled like a sort of sense of like hard work and like creative things are hard to do and they need a lot of effort to be good and I think that is an important thing was an important thing to realize when I was, you know, 11 or so. Yeah, that's super young age to realize that. I didn't (laughs) think about working seriously until I was in my uh, late teens. So, okay, so you got into CalArts and Uh the experimental program. And I'm assuming you focused on stop motion? Yeah, I I started there. um, And, you know, I'm sure anyone that has either gone to school for stop motion or has looked into going to school for stop motion knows that there are no places to go to school for stop motion. Um, but CalArts is, 
I mean, there's a few that you have stop motion as part of their curriculums, but there isn't like, you know, just a really like great place to like focus on stop motion. But CalArts has a lot of things that help with that. Um, mostly Stephen Kyoto, who is just, you know, was, was the person I needed at that time the most, like someone you know, because I had I had grown up around a lot of creativity and and art and um, and things like that, but I never had any other animators. I never, I mean, there were there were forums and 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 outlets online where I could ask questions and find out information. But stop motion, especially, is hard to learn yeah. without being able to just like ask people really like weird specific questions and have people show you things. And like, this is how you wrap armature wire. And like, this is how you put latex on a puppet and just like super specific things that are just hard to learn on your own. And, right. um, and so Steven really, I got to CalArts and like made it a point of mine to just learn as much from Steven as I could. Because he's, you know, this legend. He's been on the show, right? Yeah, he has. Yeah, he has been. Um, I've chatted with him. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's just this, you know, master of. I mean, a lot of things. He, you know, they Kyoto Bros do animatronics and puppets and all sorts of things. But you know, he just he has like a philosophy of stop motion that I just it resonates with me. I like I like that you brought up this point because I used to like I grew up doing stop motion and not knowing any a soul in my city, whatever that did stop motion. Like it was all by myself. And I used to think of it as like a lonely sport. But I like that you brought this yeah. up because like just meeting somebody else who does stop motion feels so great. And like I feel like an instant connection. And then suddenly you can like chat about all these weird things and ask all these weird questions that you have no idea where to go to otherwise. Like I remember yeah, like stopmotionanimation.com. I was like all over that when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, like, totally. But like asking a weird question, you don't even know what to ask. And then you have like yeah, the professionals yeah. like telling you like, oh, you know, use this really expensive, like complicated <laughs> yeah. thing. And you're like, I have $5 in my bank account. I'm just a kid. <laughs> so I, I love that you brought that up because it's so important to meet other people like in, in real life that kind of do the stuff that you want to do too. So that's great. Yeah, thing. absolutely. Yeah. And like I had other, like when I was, um, I think 15, I um, had gotten in touch with Barry Purvis, who's a great British stop motion animator, just a, a true, like another kind of legend of you know short films and just like a real like artist. Um, and we kind of struck up like a correspondence as a, when I was a teenager and he was like really encouraging and, and just, um, helpful to like know like how an animator talks kind of because like there's all this terminology that like you don't really know and yeah. and you can kind of get it from books but not not a whole lot so you know he was really helpful and then yeah once but once I finally met Stephen in person then that's really when like kind of a a light started to click for like this is how this is done Nice. for real you know <laughs> so you're doing stop motion in experimental animation uh and then you get an internship at stupid buddies through that but then you 
get an internship at Leica. That wasn't through school, was it? Uh, it kind of was. We had a portfolio day um, at CalArts where you can put out, um, you know, a portfolio and, a, you know, I think I put out a few puppets and some animation and stuff. And then I think, I think Steven actually recommended me to them and was like, nice. hey, you should check out this kid's work. I was super young. I mean, I was like 19. Um, and, you know, my work was fine, but like not like a quality yet um but they and they they usually said like oh we don't look at anyone that's not like a third year or something um but they took a look at my stuff and they liked it and they said they would maybe be in touch and i think like a couple weeks later i got a phone call from their recruiter and they asked me to come up that summer so i did obviously and that was that was the moment where like I realized that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, you had some idea what you're doing, obviously, because you got an internship at Leica. But okay, so uh, I get this question, and I see this question all the time on like Instagram and whatnot. How uh-huh. do you get an internship at like Stupid Buddies or Leica? Like, what are they looking for that you can produce? Because so many. Yeah. Especially now, because any everybody's doing stop. Well, not everybody. A lot of people are doing stop motion from home. It's a lot more accessible. Yeah. So tell me, tell me the deets. Give me. The- yeah. So it's definitely different for each studio. Um, the the way that actually the way I got the internship at Stupid Buddy was this really roundabout way. I I was it was my senior year of high school actually, and I was out in LA in Burbank for a film festival. And I, I, it was at the like, um, uh, the, the final dinner, like wrap up for the festival. And the seating was like random. And I ended up being sat next to uh, Matt Sangrich, who's the co-creator of Robot Chicken and the owner of Stupid Buddy. Yeah. Um, and he's, I didn't know who he was. He's also been on this podcast. Oh, I see. Okay. See, there you go. Um, and I didn't know who he was other than his name, but like, I didn't know him by sight. So we got talking and he was like, oh yeah, I have a studio. And I was like, wow, you are the person that created Robot Chicken. Um, so that was like a little bit of a shock. Um, and we kept in a little bit of touch, but mostly he put me in touch with... Um, his animation director, uh, Alex Kamer. Um, so we were in touch throughout my senior year of high school. And then basically once I decided to come out to CalArts, he was like, well, we, Robot Chicken season seven starting right, that, right around that time. Why don't you come on as an intern? Um, you know, I had had some work that I just finished up and put together like a little reel. And, you know, it was, I guess, good enough. He gave me some tips actually, like, some stuff to like work on like that summer, I think, um, you know, practice animating on twos, practice um, like some like punchy kind of uh, poppy stuff. And so like that's what Stupid Buddy is looking for. You know, they're looking for, you know, usually looking for like comedy stuff and like how, how big of poses you can do. And um, yeah, just like the really like, like kind of humor-based movement and and stuff like that. Whereas Leica is very different in what they're looking for. Um, 
the the kind of reel you want for Leica is, you know, you want you want to be able to animate on ones. And I mean, I'm getting kind of you know technical. I'm, I figure anyone listening to this podcast probably knows what it means to animate on ones. But um, you know, you want to animate at 24 frames per second. You know, an- animating every frame and as smooth as you can get. And but Leica is really the thing that they really look for in animation. Um, and I learned this there uh, is like weight. Like you really you want your characters to have like good weight. Um, you know, if your character's standing there, you know, don't just have them like stiff, you know, have them kind of on one leg and then, you know, shift over to the other leg and really like figure out like how hips move and like body mechanics stuff, which um, I guess I had thought about a little bit, but never to that level. Like I got to like a, that year, that summer, and totally was just like put through all the tests that I could never have imagined. Like animate, animate walks every day for two months, you know, oh just, just perfect it. Like, you know, just really, really get it. So everything is in the right spot. All the, the hips are moving and flowing and the knee is, bending in the right spot just stuff like that where like you know it's not Leica isn't interested in like you know the cartoony stuff as much you know it's it's really you know it's much more based in reality so like you know somebody and you know this was six seven years ago now so maybe I don't know what their like process for um uh recruiting interns is now but yeah, I would say somebody that wants to get into Leica should just have like a really clean reel of like just beautiful animation walks and weight shifts and and personality changes. You know, something where like a character is feeling one thing and then like goes to another emotion and and things like that. Probably doesn't hurt to have some connections because it sounds like both of your internships you got with the help of connections too. So maybe reach out to people. Totally, yeah. So and so, whatnot, yeah. So, and that's like an important thing in animation, but especially stop motion. Stop motion is such a tiny, tiny world. Like, it is. There's so few people that do this. Um, you will get to know everyone or almost everyone very quickly in this industry. Right. So, like, even just a few connections, and not even just connections, just like make friends. You know, like that's. That's like, I, that's, that's really been the best way to like get a job in stop motion. But okay, so I, I agree with that. But for instance, like what if you are from small town XYZ in, I don't know, uh, India or like the UK or like Toronto, like me, where everything yeah. was just online and I was just some kid. How do you make friends and connections that actually yeah. pay off to get... I know it's tough. Um, stop motion is so location based, you know, you can't do it really from afar. You have to be at least, usually it takes, you know, at least a small group of people together to do it. I mean, there are people that can do it, you know, in a, in a bedroom or a garage or something and make beautiful work, but to do, to like work in an actual studio and make, you know, a lot of 
content. Like it takes a lot of people and it takes people all together. So there are sort of hubs of stop motion and I wish there were more in more varied places like, you know, but right now in the U S it really is kind of LA and Portland. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of have to be in one of those places. If you want to like really make a living as a stop motion animator in this country, at least, I actually don't know much about stop motion in Canada, um, but you kind of have to be in one of those places if you want to be like a studio animator. Um, So if you are in a place that isn't one of those places, um, you know, try to, try to visit, you know, go to, go to film festivals, go to, um, uh, you know, there's like animation talks or retrospectives or, you know, things that happen around, you know, or, I mean, we're in a time where you can just email. Like I, I get emails from people, not like, you know, probably a couple times a year, you know, being like, Hey, I'm interested in working in stop motion. How, how can I get in? How does, how do I get work on a show or, um, you know, do I have to like move to this place? And like, eventually probably yes, but to start getting to know people, I think you can kind of be wherever now, you know, it's, I mean, I came from Louisville, Kentucky, which was, you know, there's no animation there. So, but I was, I was going to film festivals. I was, reaching out to people through email and whatever. And I think that is important to do. You know, you have to, you have to kind of make yourself known, which is kind of scary and goes against a lot of animators tendencies to be pretty quiet and, you know, not um, a lot of animators don't necessarily want to like be the life of the party. Some do, but it's it can be hard for a lot of people and me included so well, that sure. that is not um not an easy task but i think it's more possible now than ever to be from somewhere and be doing this stuff well and i think if you want to work in stop motion professionally you have to sacrifice a lot like you moved out of your hometown you went to school you even quit early to get into the industry you did two internships at Leica, like which is ridiculous yeah. <laughs> so let's let's fast forward a bit um what is your you've been working in the industry for a while now what is your like kind of specialty go-to animation that people are like we need we need ian on this project because he does <laughs> he doesn't just do stop motion he does yeah um so i really like you know i mean who knows, my animation directors might have a different answer for this question. But from my perspective, I love like detail work. I, I think that's one of the cool things about stop motion is that it is- Everything real... in stop motion is detail work. What do you mean? <laughs> exactly. Like it's, everything is detail work, but especially like, I don't know, like little, little movements, emotional, like emotional stuff. Um, I really, I kind of like animating sad characters. I know that seems kind of depressing, but I... Do you feel sad while you're animating a sad character? No, not really. Um, I mean, you kind of have to get into that mindset a little bit, but I, yeah, I like doing things with emotion or, but it's also fun to do like, um, like cute thing. Like I worked on Tumble Leaf, 
um, for a while. And like, that was like a super cute show and just like charming animation. And that kind of stuff is really fun to do. Just like try and make things look like as appealing as possible. Um, so, so if I, if I'm the animation director, I'm like, are we, okay, we got a charming, cute, sad <laughs> exactly cast me for it you know put me on it so then okay so then when like when somebody loves what they're doing they put a lot of extra into it that they're not asked Uh for so like when you animate a charming cute sad character like what what is what is something that you put in that probably nobody will notice but it like brings it to life for you that's a good question um i love i love thinking about like I mean, there's there's kind of the classic animation answer of like, you know, do you know, animate what the character's thinking, not what the character's doing. And like, I think that is great to do. And you have to just like, think about like the eyes and, you know, really, um, yeah, animating like just little things like, um, like little like shoulder shifts can be really fun or that can just like really sell like you can get so much out of like a single little like look up of an eye. Like if a character is like looking down and just like looks up for like eight frames and then back down, like that can just like make a scene. And I love doing stuff like, and it's such a little detail, um, but it can really make a character come to life. And I love, I mean, I'm such a like, nerd i love just like micro increments in stop motion which seems like torture and it kind of is but i i'm not someone that's particularly good at like i'm i'm not like a super cartoony animator like i i can kind of do the robot chicken stuff but like there's people that can really do that and like are really good at it and just are like super funny like their animation just like makes you laugh when you look at it and like i can i can kind of get there but it's i would never like sell myself as like a super like hilarious like posy animator but um i do i i i love getting into like little like like drifting characters and like moving holds and things that like honestly you probably shouldn't do too much of otherwise the character is going to get like floaty so i can actually like probably do too much of that sometimes but i love doing that kind of thing where you just like are keeping a character alive by not doing much with it but doing just enough and it's a real balance you know yeah so you mentioned things like you know having the eyes look up for eight frames and whatnot i'm assuming that's straying away from the storyboards um is that right or is that would that be worked in when you talk to uh it really depends and different projects different projects depend more on storyboards than others. Um, When, when I got to Tumble Leaf, my animation director basically told me to disregard the storyboards. Um, Not completely. That sounds weird and harsh to do, but like basically anything that the storyboards were good for like kind of the very broad actions on that show. Like, you know, this character needs to start on this side of the screen and end up on this side of the screen. But the acting was 
um, very much dictated by what the director wanted. And he would, you know, act it out and, and tell you pretty specifically what he wanted. Um, but then there's, there's always room to add stuff in to sometimes take things away if it feels like too much. So there's, it's a real, there's a, a weird balance of like knowing what you need to capture in a scene to make it sell as the scene um, and to get the emotion or the, the clearest action that's happening. But um, yeah, if it, some projects are very specific about like, you know, this character needs to look up and hear this noise on this frame and you better hit your mark or the scene's not gonna work. And then some shows are like, the character looks up and does this and does that and then he goes away. And like there it's, I've yeah worked on all the, the variations of and in-betweens of that. So it depends. I also wanna, you also mentioned something that I'm very interested about because uh, it's kind of counterintuitive to how you think with animating. So you said that you should animate what the character's thinking, not what the character is doing. Yeah. So like, can you, so say like, uh, I go to my storyboards or the director or whatever, my scene is uh, character A has to crack an egg and put it into a bowl and mix it. How do you, how do you change your mindset away from those actions when you need to do those actions into how the character is thinking to then have the actions kind of secondary to that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think that's an old Ollie Johnston quote, one of the Disney nine old men um, is, you know, what what's the character, animate what the character's thinking, not what it's doing. Um, and it's hard. It, it, you know, it's really easy to just be like, I'm going to get this puppet from this side of the screen and he's going to pick up this thing and do this, do whatever with it. Like that is one way to do it and it'll probably work like on a TV show or something like, you know, sometimes that is what you have to do because you just don't have time to like analyze every single frame and emotion of what's happening in a scene. But ideally um, you want to like think about, okay, what is, why is this character going to this spot? Like if it's, if he's, picking up, what do you say, an, an egg or something? Yeah. Um, you know, is he is he hungry? Is he really hungry? Like, how fast is he going to be moving to cook this egg? How, like, is, um, is he making the egg for someone else? Is he nervous? And, like, all of those things will tell you how the character's moving. Um, so you're not just animating, like, this arm is moving up for three frames and then it comes down. Like you're, you're thinking about, um, you know, what, what is, what is motivating that arm to do that? And it's because this character's in a rush and he's trying to, to, to get to a party on time and he's, you know, moving really fast. So it's, it's, um, or the opposite, you know, the character's sad and, um, you know, maybe it's like walking really slow and you, you you have to think about the technical stuff. But in my experience, the shots that I look at that I've done 
that I'm like really proud of are the ones where I specifically remember feeling the easiest, um, where like the emotion falls into place and you don't have to think as much about the technical aspect of like the frame by frame motion of it, where you're just like really feeling the feelings of the character. And that's a special moment when that happens. It doesn't always happen. And sometimes you just have to hope that it does and strive for that. But you can try and get yourself in the mindset of that as often as you can. I totally understand that feeling. And that's why I love stop motion. Because for me, it's like an all encompassing thing that kind of takes me to another place that doesn't exist in the real world when that happens. Oh, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, know. So you've talked about Tumblr. Okay, so you you had an internship at Stupid Buddy, and that's like poppy cartoony. Then you went to Leica, which wants ridiculous technical skills and like on ones and like perfection. Then you go to Tumbleleaf, where you uh, are working professionally finally for the first time, and you're you like, can you just talk about how you ended up getting there and like yeah change your whole mindset and everything so many times totally so um again like these you know good connections are kind of everything um there's an amazing animator named dan mckenzie who um he's oh i guess maybe five or six years older than i am he i i reached out to or we we met when i was um towards the end of high school, I was trying to figure out like where, where I should go to college and, and, and just, you know, career stuff in general. And um, Dan and I met at a film festival and kept in touch. And eventually, I think it was right before I went back to the second internship at like Dan reached out to me and said, Hey, we're, he was on Tumbleleaf at that point, And he said, hey, we're looking for more anime- animators on Tumbleleaf. Would you be interested in me putting you in touch with our animation director? And so I was like, sure. Uh, I had never worked like as a full-time animator before. I'd had a few internships and, you know, done, you know, some short projects and things like that. But I was, I'd never like been a yeah full-time animator. Um, so I was nervous to test for that, but, um, so I, I went into Bix Picks and met with Rachel Larson, who was the animation director at the time now of, of tiny chef fame. Um, and she, uh, gave me an animation test to do. And, uh, I went in and you basically get a line of dialogue and a puppet and, they give you like a, a a show Bible or a character Bible. And they're like, you know, this is what this character is like. And I studied up on the show. I mean, I watched it and seen it and was trying to absorb as much as I could. But yeah, you go in for eight hours, you know, or 10 hours or whatever, a work day and um, animate that shot, you know, just on a test stage. And at the end of the day, they're like, thanks so much for coming in. We'll be in touch. Oh man, that and, sounds so intimidating. And then uh, I 
you know, go up to Leica for that summer. And I think, I don't know, midway through that summer, um, I get an email from Rachel and she asked if I wanted to join the crew. So I did and came back down that, um, that fall, I guess like late or late August, early September and started on Tumble Leaf. And it was another moment of like, oh no, I don't know what I'm doing. That's um, insane. Cause like you've studied, like you've done stop motion a lot and you're studying at Leica. Why, why do you feel like you don't know what you're doing <laughs> when you're, when you're clearly the most qualified person for the job? Cause you just got hired for it. So I knew what I was doing in theory, but doing an internship at Leica. So the way an internship at Leica works is you're basically like a trainee. Um, You get assigned a mentor and who's one of the animators and you do animation tests for three months and you learn how to do walks and weight shifts and all the things I was talking about earlier and you're you're animating for you know eight ten hours a day and that was the first time i'd ever really had a chance to do that you know outside of like you know summers during high school but um so that's that in and of itself is a new learning experience but the way that it's approached at leica is very much very much satisfies the like perfectionist side of me where kind of doesn't matter how much you're getting done it's more about like how pretty the final um image looks so like you know you can do 20 frames a day and like at least during the internship that was fine like they were they were good with that on ones you know just you know you're getting one frame every half hour (laughs) yeah it's not much um and like i'm i'm not a super fast animator you know there's people that can go faster than that but I think that's about what I was getting. And like, that was, that was kind of fine there. Um, but so I was learning on, how to, oh, go ahead. I'm assuming on Tumbleleaf, you can't do one frame every half hour. <laughs> Are you doing like- <laughs> Oh, you definitely can't. So I am used to that. I'm, I'm like, you know, loping along, you know, making my frames really pretty, getting all the arcs right, making everything beautiful. And then I start on Tumbleleaf and 200 frame a day quotas um, on twos. So, you know, 100 poses essentially every day. And I couldn't do it. I just, I was not able to shoot that much. You know, I just hadn't ever done that before. Um, you know, I, I was on, I was an intern on Robot Chicken. So I, I was around that a little bit and Robot Chicken would, you know, shoot more than that in a day. But so like I was, I knew people that had done, could animate that fast and was kind of around that, but I had never done it. Um, and Tumbleleaf is a really special show because it looks gorgeous yeah. and beautiful and just is, has insane, insanely high quality production value. Um, but it also was a fast production. Like you had to move really quickly, um, or at least for me. Um, and so I got to Tumbleleaf and um, was sort of having like kind of a nervous breakdown. Like I just like, I was not able to get the quotas. And um, actually Rachel Larson 
got hired um, to work on Isle of Dogs, like right after I started. Um, so she had hired me and then she left for London, uh, basically right when I started on Tumbleleaf. So um, Michael Granberry became the animation director and he was kind of my savior and I don't know how he put up with me. Um, and if he's listening to this ever, I'm gonna gush about him a little bit, but he, <laughs> Um, he really uh, just helped me learn how to animate in like a totally radically different way than I ever had before. Um, you know, I had just gotten from Leica. I was used to animating, yeah, like a frame, you know, every you know, 20 minutes, half hour, you know, just really perfecting it. And he basically said, set a timer, you know, set a timer for five minutes. And at the end of five minutes, take the frame. You just have to take the frame at the end of five minutes. And that is really scary because like, I didn't know if that frame would be ready in five minutes. And sometimes it wasn't, you know, sometimes I'd have to do more, but it got me in the mindset of like, just moving the puppet and having it be there. like. I, the way that I kind of naturally animate and the way that I had was learning to animate um, was, you know, very like move the puppet, check it, finesse it, move it, check it, you know, just all this back and forth. And Michael really helped me figure out just ways to like get motion happening quickly, you know, really, um, you know, he said this thing to me about, um, like letting some frames be like awkward teenage frames where like it's kind of fine that they're in like a weird in-between stage. Like as long as your main pose is fine and you're trying to get to another pose, the frames in between, as long as they make enough sense, they don't have to be like perfect, you know, and that really helped and is hard to do for me. Like I, I really struggled with that, but. So, so what's a, what's a good enough awkward teenage frame in between <laughs> versus a perfect in between. If you have a character maybe standing from point A and then uh -huh. in point B they're looking, I don't know. Yeah. So like, you know, in the first frame you'll be standing there and then maybe you ease into it a little bit and, you know, the arm comes up maybe to like, you know, go like look like it's looking off in the distance at its forehead or something yeah. and so the arm comes up and then you, you start to ease in make your eases kind of pretty you know make sure everything is you know consistently moving you know make sure the movement isn't like jaggedy and and stuff but like when you get to kind of like the middle of that you can kind of just like have a frame where the arm is you know halfway up the body pose and you know it doesn't have to like be like a perfect the in-betweens don't have to be perfect poses in and of themselves um they they can as long as they read getting the motion from one place to the other um then it'll probably be fine and just make that first pose really good do your eases really well and then the stuff in between, as long as it's headed in the right direction, it's probably going to be fine. And like, he didn't spell it out like that for me. That was kind of me learning how to do that in my 
take on it, but that's, that took a long time to figure out for me. It really, really was tough. Like I wanted to make every frame perfect. And yeah. if, and the thing is like, if you're making every frame perfect, you're probably going to get worse animation. Like if you're, unless you're truly doing the Leica thing where like you can kind of take as much time as you want to do it. Um, the animation might be a little more stale and and you're probably going to get just burnt out. You know, if you're really, if you're putting as much, you shouldn't be putting as much focus into every frame because there are some poses, some actions that are more important than others. And that was kind of the other thing. Like, you know, he, he helped me focus on like, what's the important part of the shot? You know, what is what is like the meat and the, the, the emotional weight of whatever the shot is. And like, that's where the energy needs to go to. Mm. And if you can do that, you'll have the energy to just kind of blast through the stuff that isn't as hard. So you can maybe take 10 minutes on some frames, as long as you take two minutes on other frames, you know, that's it's, something I need to learn. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's I, tough. It's really yeah, hard. I approach every single frame in my stop motion like the most important frame that I'm on in that moment. And that's like a definite thing in yeah. stop motion that's hard to get around because like you're looking at a puppet. It feels like whatever's right in front of you must just be so important because you're staring at it. It's not moving when you're staring at it. So like it feels like, oh, this pose has to make so much sense. Yeah. And like, it should make sense. Like, if you can get beautiful animation that's perfect, and it also doesn't take you a whole lot of time, by all means, do it. But <laughs> well, there's the very few like, people that can do that. You have your pop through and stuff, but in 2D and CG, your poses are completed. But in stop motion, there's always the what if the puppet falls over in this shot or yeah. what if I overstep and I don't get there? So that like, it's so hard to, because the future is the future post is like always an unknown in my head. It's yeah. so hard to give up on a frame that I'm on because part of my thinking is like, if I don't do this right, I'm not going to get the end result looking good. Yeah. So, and, but I, and the past poses don't exist either. Really yeah. like in CG and 2d, you can always go back and edit things. Like yeah. once once you've moved that puppet out of the pose that it's in, you can kind of do a cutback, but it's never gonna be exactly where it was before and it will never be there again. So yeah. it's hard to move forward if you don't really know where you're going with something. It's hard to move forward because you're afraid of like losing where you're at too. So oh, yeah. it can be it can be scary to to think like oh this is this is a, a pose that's gone forever as soon as I touch this puppet and what if I can't ever get back to it right and it's well and it's like it's permanent too like you said which is crazy like every single time you move anything it's like a conscious choice that you're mm -hmm. projecting how it's going to affect everything in the scene. Like if I decide to suddenly, you know, maybe there's curtains on the window and I decide, Oh, you know, it's a little bit windy out and I decide to suddenly move the curtain. Now I have to remember to move that 
as yeah. it was windblown for the entire scene, I can't just stop. Like, <laughs> so. And that was that was the thing on Tumbleleaf too. It was rarely just one character. Oh yeah, totally like it's insane. There's like eight <laughs> characters on a screen, small, big, multiple arms. Exactly. So like, it, and they were always jumping around. They were always doing fiddling with something, building something, or digging something out of a treasure chest. Like there was, Tumbleleaf was a busy show, yeah. and that kind of stuff is so fun to animate. But it does take a lot of thinking and effort to like get there. You know, it's it's tough to to like knock out those frames when there's like so much going on and so many characters. There's some animators that like, you know, they would do these like 10 or 12 character shots, you know, and just like, I am, I I know I, I only had a few shots on Tumbleleaf that had like true crowd scenes um, and they're hard. But sometimes once you get enough puppets, you're not, looking at everything close enough you can you can actually get away with a lot more there yeah so you've been i, I love that you've been instilling all, like all these learnings that you've had um do you have any like anything else to, that you've learned that has kind of changed the game for you in terms of your animation skill or just the mindset you've had of approaching animation or like i don't know have you received any critiques where that things really clicked for you afterwards yeah totally i i love good feedback. I mean, I think that is kind of the most important thing in any animation, but I think especially stop motion because you can't go back and change it. You know, if you get feedback on a CG shot, yeah. you can change it. Whereas like in stop motion, if you get good <laughs> feedback, it's like extra cutting. Because too bad, it's like, I'm not going back and redoing too it. Too bad. It's just like that shot is done. You have to redo it or just hold on to that for next time so you kind of I've learned how to like almost have like a little like mental library of feedback that I've gotten um I think where like I just can remember certain yeah certain critiques in certain moments if I'm animating like a certain thing like a walk or something like I will remember you know like this is what you know this animator or my mentor or whoever said to me when I was animating a walk four years ago about the knees and not to bend them too much or to bend them more and like I can kind of think about the advice that people have given me over the years and put that into action in a different scenario because you're never it's rare that you're ever going to get feedback on something and then do that exact same thing again so you have to be able to translate feedback into different things. Um, and I think that took me a while to learn because once you learn how to do one thing, then you don't have to do as much if you're doing a similar thing, you know, a year later, it'll be easier. And um, you won't have to, put as much mental energy into that one specific thing and you can focus more on the acting or the 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 like body mechanics or something you know, what, whatever the thing is that you can kind of do subconsciously the more you can the less you have to think about anything the better and I'm still learning how to do that but that was 
I think I think that's been something that took a took the longest to click was like you can you don't have to overthink everything you know yeah yeah no I like I like that a lot and and uh it's amazing that you are able to have like a library in your head of all those critiques and stuff and that only comes from working with other people like you can't you can't get that with only your own perspective on your own work so yeah totally yeah. So uh, one topic I want to talk about is in 2014, you actually quit stop motion altogether. You were like, I've had <laughs> enough of stop motion. You know, I've, I've been to Stupid Buddy. I've been to Leica. I've been to Tumble Leaf. There's nothing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> why, did, why did you decide to quit stop motion when, you, you know, for the past, this whole podcast, you've just talked about loving it and everything? Yeah, uh, classic burnout. So it was, yeah, yeah it, was, it was after... Um, yeah, I'd done the internship at Stupid Buddy. Um, I'd done the internship at Leica. It was before Tumble Leaf, but um, I was during my second year at CalArts. Um, a friend of mine and I decided to make this like epic film. Like we went like all out on this second year film, and I it's still not finished. Seven years no. later. Um, uh, so that happened, but, um, we, we really were, at least I felt like I was in over my head. Um, you know, I was trying to make, like you were saying earlier, like I was really trying to make every shot perfect, every frame perfect. Like I hadn't learned any of this stuff that I was just talking about yet. Um, and I was still like, like every single frame, I remember being in my mind, like this frame has to impress Leica. And like, that is not a way to get good animation or good performance. Um, well, maybe it is, but you're not gonna enjoy it. You're not gonna enjoy the process if you're like constantly thinking to yourself, like I have to prove this to someone else, you know? Yeah. Um, so we were working on this film and I was just frazzled. I mean, I was, not sleeping ever you know i was because with at cal arts you know i there were classes during the day or some classes were at night um you know i had like kind of a weird schedule so basically the only time i could find to animate was at night so i would stay up all night animating um and what? Yeah, it was stupid. Like, of course, I burned out. Um, so when, were, and, how many hours of sleep did you get a day? Oh, like probably two or three. I don't know. Oh my like, gosh. For months, like I just, um, yeah, it was, and I just was never. Actually, looking back on it, there is some animation in it that I still have in my reel that I'm pretty proud of. Um, so like my, it was like my, my tortured artist phase of like, I was actually getting pretty good work out of it, but like, I was not happy. I was not, I was barely alive. Um, so I was like kind of doubting. I don't think I ever truly doubted like if I really loved it, like I, I still, loved stop motion i loved animating but i was just tired so i after that year um i basically said i can't do this anymore at least for the time being okay. and 
because um, I was actually going to go back to Leica that that summer. You know, they had invited me back for the second internship that summer. I ended up going back the summer after that, but um, I um, I told them like, hey, I need some time to like, you know, figure things out or whatever. And uh, I went back a year later, and I'm glad that they had me. But um, so I kind of turned them down um and then just decided to like go back home for a summer and I didn't touch a puppet for about nine months I guess so what did Um, you do so I I wanted to have I still you know am a creative person I, I don't like being idle I don't like having nothing to do and I still like you know making things but um I think I mentioned earlier, my dad was a musician. So growing up, I was like around a lot of music, but I always like pushed it away. Like I was never interested in music. Um, And then, I mean, I was, I I kind of started to get interested in other kinds of music into like old time folk music and country music and stuff, you know, throughout high school and college, but not playing it. Um, So, and then till this time when I was just like so frazzled, I was just like, I need something else. So I went back home and started learning how to play the banjo. And it like really just like totally saved my like my brain. Like I just it it opened up like another another creative thing I could do that just didn't occupy any of the same parts of me that animation did. Um, so it, I basically went back home for a summer, started taking banjo lessons, roaming around Eastern Kentucky, going to festivals and stuff, and just like immersing myself in like a totally different world. Um, and then I ended up going back to CalArts that semester, but I kind of knew I wasn't really, like I I wasn't, I, I wasn't really animating that semester. I was just kind of going through the motions. And then I ended up leaving CalArts after that semester. So like, um, I, yeah, I think I went a full nine or 10 months without animating a single frame without touching a puppet. And by the time that was over, I was really ready. Like I just, I think, you know, month eight or so of that, I was like, okay, I think I have a few more things figured out about like how I can animate for my life and also like have like mental health, you know? Yeah, well, I'm still curious because you uh, also went back to school but said you weren't, your heart wasn't really into it. So what, what was that? What was that big, like, what were you expecting to do? So I think I didn't really know. And I think that was part of the problem. Like, I I don't think it was ever, I don't think it was ever animating that was the thing I disliked. I think it was, like, the lack of sleep or the stress of, like, a production or the, the more external things. And I think... Um, so I went back to school and I actually started sculpting a lot during that time too, which I really enjoy and do kind of on the side, um, just, you know, for fun. And um, 
So I was doing a lot of sculpting, but no animating. And then after I left CalArts for good, <laughs> um, in, I guess, after that fall semester, um, yeah. then I, I went back home one more time to Kentucky and just started animating a few little tests. Like I built a little puppet just to see if I could kind of feel myself getting back into it. Like really mm -hmm. just to ease myself back into like, do I enjoy this? And I really did. And after like a month or two of that, I decided like, okay, let's see if I can really do this without like the stress of school or, um, you know, this insane project. Yeah. And so I wrote uh, back to Leica and was like, hey, I'm free this summer. I would love to come back up for another internship if you guys will have me. And they did. And and that was also the same time that I got the call from Tumbleleaf. And so everything kind of just fell into place right around the same time um, of like, it's pointing in this direction. And I'm glad that it did because I've stuck with it ever since, you know, yeah. but that well, was, that was, a, it was a hard time. It was, it was tough. For sure. I think that's super kudos to you. Like quitting school is like a huge risky decision and like moving back home and like all these things and, and you figured it out. And I think that's awesome. Um, and obviously you've, you've come out on top. So let me ask you, you, you know, you've mentioned a lot of a lot of things during this chat, you know, 10 hour days, eight, 10 hour days, going through the ringer so many times, learning all these things, um, taking a break for nine months, learning music, coming back to the industry. Is it, has it all been worth it for you? Like, are you, is this, is this who you are? Is this what you, Oh, I love it. I mean, it sounds I, like, it. Just, yeah, yeah, I love stop motion and I love the stop motion community. Like I can't stress enough. Like I think tumble leaf was the perfect, first job like yeah. I that project was so like I mean it sounds super cheesy but like it was magical like it really was like every Wednesday you would be animating and suddenly the smell of warm cookies would start drifting through the studio and then somebody would like knock on your curtain and they'd have a tray of chocolate chip cookies fresh out of the oven. Like, that's just like what that studio was. And it was just wonderful, wonderful people. And, you know, just a, a really great, talented crew. Um, there, there were quite a few other animators around my age, um, a little bit, maybe like a little bit older, but like, you know, some older, I guess, maybe a few, you know, a little bit younger, but, um, yeah, it was like a pretty, pretty young crew. So I felt like, um, I don't know, I just felt really like at home on that production. So that was like the best. I mean, like all the other stuff I said earlier was also true. You know, it was hard and, and the, the actual work was really tough to do. But the studio culture, the, the, the people that make this weird little stop motion community what it is are just like the best people because i think i think what it is my my thesis about why stop motion people are great is 
no, I don't want to say no one, but very few people like fall into stop motion. Most you, you, you wouldn't like, it's terrible. Like it's, it's, it's like the worst way to make anything. Like it takes a long time. It's hard on your body. Like you have to really love it to want to do this. So the people that are in it love it. And I think that shows. And so people that do this for a living are pretty happy and nice. And um, yeah, it's just a really nice, warm community. Nice. I, I have a follow-up question on that that I'm curious about, and I'm wondering if you can answer it. And it's, I feel like it's a little bit of a taboo sort of question because uh, it's, it's about like, uh, how do I say this? To, to get into stop motion, like you need an insane amount of like skill, hours put in, like patience, et cetera. And you're like what you said, it's hard on your body. Like you have to really love it to do it. Is it worth it in terms of pay at the same time? So there's a couple ways to think about it. Usually, and it depends, the different studios do pay differently. Like there, there are yeah. different rates in different studios. And depending on the project. Are, so. are unionized, but stop motion animators are not unionized, right? Stop motion is mostly not. So um, it can really vary from studio to studio, even just animator to animator. Like it, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme or reason to who makes what. I think there's becoming more transparency, which is really good. I'm, I'm happy to see that happening. Um, the thing that is the hardest, it's not so much the pay when you're on a project. Usually, yeah. usually you're making fine money. It's the times in between. So the way that the stop motion industry works, it's still pretty small. And sometimes there just isn't work, which isn't fun. Um, so there are months almost for almost everyone, like there's very few people in the stop motion world that escape this. There are some, you know, that manage to have, you know, full-time staff positions somewhere maybe. But for most people in stop motion, it's a contract based work. So you're on a project for six months, three months, a year, whatever, like, um, and then you're not. And you have to be prepared for those times when you're not. So usually when you're on a project, in my personal experience, the pay has been pretty good and pretty, pretty fine. Like it was definitely like a living wage. And, um, you know, you can have an apartment in LA and be happy, but um, there's probably going to be a few months after that project where you're not making any money. So yeah. those are the times when it is tough to, so, and those are the times when I get the most discouraged about stop motion. It's never yeah. like when I'm actually animating, it's when I'm not animating that I'm like grumble about the industry. Fair enough. So what are some of the things that you have to sacrifice as a stop motion animator that somebody who has a regular job might not have to sacrifice? Uh, location. You yeah. probably, if you want to be a professional stop motion animator, you're probably going to have to move to LA, Portland, London. Um, 
I'm sure there's a few other places, but like, I think those are the three big places in the world that do this. Um, And like, but I think some of that might be changing. You know, there are these smaller studios that are popping up, you know, I mean, some of them are in LA and stuff, but there's, there's other places now that are coming up that I think aren't as location based. And I would love to see that. Gotcha. continue um in like smaller places or like beautiful places um you know just for people that live on the other side of the country or don't want to move to LA or Portland um just more options would be super cool but for right now if you want to work in stop motion you kind of got to be in LA or Portland Fair. um to work in TV or movies or you know any of that kind of stuff um and yeah other than that it's just the the um like be prepared to be out of work sometimes. Gotcha. Okay. Location and out of work. So uh, you've mentioned, well, and it's, I think it's pretty common knowledge that the stop motion community is pretty small. So does that make breaking into it really tough if you're an up and coming or like aspiring animator then? I think it makes it easier personally. Um, Because once you meet one person, you probably know at least 20 40, 50 other people. Like I so does, does that mean you go back and and talk to all your peers in stop motion and say, like, oh hey, I just met Terry and he's a totally yeah, like animator is gonna be working on our next show. <laughs> exactly. No, word totally gets around. If there's somebody talented that is doing cool things, like you will know about these people and they will like I think the the thing that I took me a long time to realize was that like studios are looking for talented people. Like I always, I feel like when I was growing up, I kind of thought of these studios as these like mythical places. Like yeah. just like these, I, I watched endlessly when I was little, not little, but like as like a, in middle school, um, the like behind the scenes for the, the Wallace and Gromit movie yeah, like on the, the DVD special features, like I. You mean Curse I, of the Werewolf? I can't. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I watched that, and like it seemed like such a, like, crazy world. Like I couldn't imagine like working in a place like that. And I've never worked at Ardman, but I, you know I've worked at major studios and with major players in the animation world, and like everyone's just normal people. Like everyone's pretty down to earth and like people like yeah like Instagram is a great like there's all these like 16 year olds on Instagram now that are animating better than I can and (laughs) like everyone knows about that like you know it's just like the word gets around about good people and um I think that it's not hard to make a name for yourself in stop motion if you are willing to do that like you have to do have to put yourself out there a little bit and write some emails and go to meet people and um you know i but it it's you know it's a good it's a, a healthy combination of like you have to have the good work but you also have to know the right people you know it's it's important to just like be friendly because you never know 
who you're going to meet and who is going to be, you know, working with you as a, you know, a total peer on this movie. And like, you know, they're your same rank or whatever. And then maybe they're the animation director on some show your work that you're trying to get hired on. And like, that is just kind of how it works. Like, you know, there's, you're, you're going to be working with people that probably will end up hiring you later down the line. So I've, I've heard that a lot. In fact, uh, one of the first things they said when everybody's in the same room at Sheridan College, when all the first years come in, they say, like, look to your left and right. One of these people is going to hire you and the other person is going to work <laughs> for you, basically. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's really true. Yeah. So I feel like you already answered this, but what is like the number one thing somebody who is working in stop motion, either as an aspiring animator or they're already working on a production, can do that's going to have the biggest payoff for them in their career from your from your experience? Ooh, um, I would say if you want to be an animator, like if you want to like be pushing puppets around all day, do that. Like if you can, if you have the time to do it, take a few weeks, a few months, if you can, and just animate. Like, it's the only way to learn how to do it. Like you can read as much as you can, you can watch as much as you can, but you're never gonna actually understand it until you get a puppet under lights, under a camera, and are moving it around for 10 hours a day for weeks on end. Like that, I think that is just the most important thing you can do to really learn learn about yourself as an animator, like learn what you're good at, like learn what you need to improve on. Um, but also just to understand how motion works and how to get um, like mo emo emotion out of a face or a pose, a body language. Um, and like, you can't really do that in little stints it's kind of the i think the the hardest thing about animation school for people that want to become like actual animators is that there's never never really time to actually just animate yeah you know that's, like i was saying fair, you know right? i wasn't i i was trying to do that and i wasn't sleeping like so yeah. like and so if, if somebody wants to become an animator and has the time and space to do it, that would be my biggest recommendation is just get yourself an armature, like buy like a decent ball and socket armature, or if you know how to build a good wire armature or something, just get a puppet that like won't break on, you know, three frames in and just animate. Yeah, just let's just move it around. That's such a strange point that you brought up because like I'm, I had just finished second year of animation school. I'm going into third. But when I think about it, the amount of hours I spend in school that are not animation are, it's, I don't know, it's probably like 70% non-animation classes and then 30% mm -hmm. animation because you're doing life drawing like hours, hours every day and you're doing character design and you're doing perspective and layout drawings and you're doing painting. And, and it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Like, and the animation that you do do is very small stints it's like uh animate 
five seconds of dialogue or animate uh, one action with a heavy object, like lifting it or something like that. Because animation school, they're trying to get you to uh, first generalize in everything so you have a good foundation. And then I'm, well, it gets different because in fourth year I have to produce a thesis film when it's all animation. So it's very, it's very strange though, because if you know, if you have the confidence to know exactly what you want to do, like say for you, you quit school after two years because you're like, I just want to stop motion anime. I probably don't need to learn all the other stuff and pay at CalArts an exorbitant amount of money <laughs> to go there. So yeah, if you have the confidence to know that you just want to be a stop motion animator, just do that. Do you think? Yeah, do you think and that's the caveat can... to that. To like, you know, yeah. you have to, if you only do that if you know or maybe if you want to know if you want, if you, how do I say that? If you want to find out if that's what you want to do, there's no better, I think there's probably no better way to find out you don't want to be an animator than to animate for 10 hours a day for a week. Like yeah. um, if you don't like doing that, then you're probably not going to want to be an animator. But um, there's a lot to be said. I think there's a lot to be said for learning life drawing and, and all those other skills. Like it, you definitely shouldn't, like just animate like I mean I am personally a terrible horrendous draftsman like I can barely hold a pencil like I like I am I am not good at drawing so I was always really bad at life drawing classes but I took a lot of um uh, life sculpture classes when I was at CalArts and those were really beneficial just to like understand forms and anatomy and shapes and poses and stuff and stuff like that is is really important. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm like saying like neglect everything else and just animate because you have to do other things and you have to like watch other things like watch yeah. movies and live action and stuff too. But well, I think it's to, I think it's totally possible if you have the confidence and you've you you have the history in your own personal journey to know that you're totally fine doing just one specialized thing to go for it right yeah and, totally. like, you had you had those you had a like internship where you were animating 10 hour days just you know so you already had the experience to know that you wanted to do this so yeah oh uh, and then the other thing uh kind of going off what you just said about animation school where you animate a ball bounce and then the next week you animate a, a dialogue test i think that is great but it would be like the way to really get good at things like that is to animate a ball bounce and then animate another ball bounce and then animate <laughs> yeah. another ball bounce and then again and again and again and just like well, yeah that's the, animate that's those ball bounces until you're sick of them because like we animate a ball bounce and then you submit it you get feedback and a grade and then you never animate a ball bounce again but exactly it, but it's also the principles of that ball bounce are also incorporated into you know, I don't know, a character jumping up and down or something like that, or like totally. a flower sack animation. So it builds off each other, but I kind of agree. Like, I am I mean, I'm happy to not redo assignments over and over again because yeah. that's, that's its own stuff. <laughs> no, it can get but, tedious for yeah. sure. But uh, I agree that it, it, it's super beneficial to do those things. So um, maybe just as we wrap it up now, you know, yeah. you've talked about all the experiences you worked on. What, what's next for you or what are you working on that you can share yeah, so I am pandemic. working. Yeah, I'm working right now on uh, the new Henry Selleck movie, uh, Wendell and Wild. Wendell and yeah, Wild. Yeah, so 
I'm, I'm dying to see excited. any pictures of that because there's oh, no- it looked good. I can't tell uh, you anything about it yet, but you know it looks really I, good. I probably look it up every single week to see if there's any new pictures because like I have no reference point in my mind of what it's going to look like. Yeah, <sighs> it it's great. I love the style of this movie. I can't talk about it at all, and I wish I could, <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's um, super unique. Um, I can't wait for people to see it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm animating on that and not actively at the moment. I'm able to do some tests from home, uh, some animation tests for it. Uh, and hopefully we'll get back in the studio soon. But um, I started um, about a month before the world shut down. So uh, yeah, I was in the studio for I don't know, three or four weeks. Well, for well, real. I hope that all goes super well for you. And hopefully uh, this pandemic lightens up so we can all go yeah, I hope so too. to work. But I don't know. It yeah. doesn't seem like that given this current I know. So yeah, working on that, which is, it's, you know, being, taking, you know, most of my time as it should. And then yeah. actually it's been really fun. I've been learning CG. Um, no way. What? Yeah. What? Uh, How come? I have never done it before. Um, I've kind of always pushed it aside um, as like a stop motion purist um, and kind of scoffed at the idea Um, until like a few years ago, I was like, it would be really nice to be able to have like a backup if I wanted it, Um, you know, for those times when there isn't stop motion work, which probably will happen again. Um, or just, you know, it's fun in general. I like animation in general. So it's, it's nice to be able to like work in a different medium. So it's, it's been interesting to like relearn the basics because like you said, you don't ever animate a ball bounce again. And like, here I am last week animating a ball, but just a straight standard ball bounce. And it's like, Oh, that's how you do that. (laughs) It's, it's, I, I act surprised, but I've actually seen your animations because I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> CG is actually like a common secondary thing for stop motion animators that, you know, I've come across. Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. I think, I think there, there's quite a few that, that do it really well. And um, I mean, there's a whole generation of stop motion people that basically had to, you know, yeah. once Jurassic Park oh, yeah. came out, yeah. you know, there was no stop, so. very little stop motion work. So there's a whole... kind of a a generation or two above me that like basically were forced into doing cg work um is there yeah is there anything else you wanted to add is just we uh wrap up wrap up the yeah i don't think so um i'm uh yeah i'm i'm hoping that people i don't know when wendell and wild will come out you know a couple years probably so hopefully people will go see that um you know they can they can see my stuff on Tumbleleaf. You know, I my shots are scattered all throughout. You know, it's it's I can't point to like I did this entire episode and um, you know that just Tumbleleaf season three and four. All my stuff's in there. Um, I didn't talk about Storybots at all. Go listen right. to people that are listening to this podcast can listen to the Colin Leper episode and get all the information about that. Um, so uh, he's he's amazing and has been on here and can tell you all about 
At that some point, show, I'm just going to have every stop motion animator on this podcast. Yeah, do it. Um, Half the people you today have already on. had on this podcast. <laughs> I know. So I worked on that show as well. And um, that one, I did do more like actual episodes and sequences. So if people watch the nutrition episode or the recycling episode or the uh, toilets episode, I did a lot of that. A lot of stuff in all of those. So that's, and my wife and I are working on some projects together. She has a a pitch for a a mini series that she's uh, been working on that we did a proof of concept for in stop motion that hopefully will be finished soon. And um, yeah, lots of fun projects. That's awesome. It sounds like you're busy. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast. It was really exciting for me to hear. Yeah, it was really insightful for me to hear exactly your mentality of approaching stop motion. It, it got my wheels turning because, like, I'm working yeah. on my own. Well, it's a weird right little, it's a weird little mindset you have to get into. It's not a, yeah. it's not a normal thing that most people have to think about. So, <laughs> I'm glad to to shed whatever and anything I say is just my way of thinking about it. Like you could probably talk to 20 stop motion animators and every one of them is going to have a different mindset outlook about like how to animate. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Like don't, don't like say that this is the way to animate everything you just said, (laughs) everything I've said for the last hour and however long we've been talking, you can just ignore. (laughs) Great. Good to know. Thank you so much for coming on the chat. All right. Thanks Terry. All right. And if you're listening and you want to follow Ian's work or get in touch with him, um, you can reach out to him at ianboonanimation at gmail.com or check out his Vimeo reel, which I'll include and also include his Instagram and YouTube. But just a note about his Instagram, you have to like banjo music because he posts a lot of banjo, him playing the banjo on there amongst his animations. Uh, So and that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Bye.